You may be seated. Uh, Church family, I am Pastor Janine Smith. I oversee our adult ministries here. And today we'll be looking at Psalm 67. We're in the midst of a series on the Psalms, which is the poems and the songs of the people of God. They are the ancient praise and prayers. And they teach us, even today, how we can connect and be with God. There are a few key things in this Psalm that I believe every human needs. And so they speak to today as well. I've asked Ray Briggs to come on up and read our scripture for us today. Ray is the newest elected leader um, on Ministry Council. That's our board. Some of uh, Ray is an ethnomusicologist, which means you blend, yeah, <laughs> culture and music together. Uh, Ray, do you want to grab the microphone? Blending culture and music together, Ray does that, uh, professionally teaching as a professor in several institutions, but including our own Pasadena City College and Cal State Long Beach. So Ray has used this gift here in the church most recently during our Black History Month. We had a music and poetry event called a City Called Heaven And Ray used his gift to help us understand the blending of culture and music and faith together. Really cool. I've also gotten to know Ray as we've served together on the Racial Reconciliation Ministry team. I have appreciated his wisdom. But the thing I like most about Ray is actually Ray and his wife, Yannicka. I've had the opportunity to pray with them and their daughters together for our city and to watch them intentionally disciple as a part of their parenting was a gift to me as a parent. So Ray, um, today we're going to be talking a little bit about hope. And so I've already asked you, we've been dialoguing, will you share a little bit for us about what you hope for? And specifically, let's start with what do you hope for for yourself at this stage in life? Um, First, good morning, church family. Good to see you all, and thank you so much, uh, Sister Janine. Um, so, you know, uh, in, in my teaching, I've been teaching for about 26 years now, and um, I'm tenured at Cal State Long Beach, and, you know, it's kind of like after a while, you, you kind of know how to keep it going, you know, kind of second nature. But um, I just turned 50 a few uh, months ago, and I'm looking at life and thinking, you know, this is great. I have a job, you know, stability. Um, but am I making an impact? You know, our students just in the classroom fulfilling a credit, and then they go about their business and, hey, what's for lunch? And I talk to them very clearly, say, you look, I know this is a part of the requirements, but I want to know, am I making an impact? You know, am, is this time going beyond the hour and 15 minutes that we have? So mm-hmm. I try to do that in my, in my teaching to talk about issues related to what we're dealing with, but it's not just facts. Otherwise, it's just trivia, right? You're like, hey, what date was this? Oh, that's interesting. But what does this have to do with what's going on today? Right, so we have a lot of conversations around that. And so as a, as a teacher, I, I strive to do that. And I think it's, I'm starting to see some fruit with that. But I, I hope, because I'm looking forward to a future when that becomes a reality. Mm-hmm. Um, with my individual, my, my family, my beautiful wife, mm-hmm. um, and, and our daughters, you know, we, we have three girls, as you mentioned. Um, and I, I grew up in a family of boys. And mm-hmm. so uh, I have one sister mm-hmm. and three brothers. And let's just say that boys, we, we rule the house. 
You know, so <laughs> like we, 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 we said things without regard to how it made her feel. Mm. You know, we're looking at the world through a, through a you know, young male lens and having girls. Oh, boy. You know, it, mm. cha- it changes. It changes that. I mean, for me, it's introspective work, too. Cause I have to think about, you know, how have I been kind of conditioned in society to see women a certain way? And what impact does that have on their spirits, on their minds, on their aspirations, right? So it's not only a hope for, you know, I hope, I hope the world gets better, but it's like, but how am I active in that? How mm-hmm. am I active in making that a reality? So I try to, you know, um, talk to my daughters, and I'm praying for them, because I know there are a lot of social forces that want to devalue them, that want them to only be valued for what they look like. And, you know, that's a treadmill, right? Cause mm-hmm. that, cause once you get on it, it's like, uh, you know, eventually, as we know, looks are fleeting, Right? You say, oh, just keep living. Right? So I don't want them to be you know, stuck in that. So not making that a value, that's something that they can be attached to. Um, and then hope for our church family was, yes. a, was the last part. So I've been, in, I've been in Pasadena for about 22 years with my wife. And um, I'm originally from Tennessee, from Memphis. And you know, I grew up in a time when segregation was legally over. But how I grew up was very segregated. It wasn't on paper anymore. But where you went to school, where you live, what kind of job you get, so forth, so on. Being in California, it's like a microcosm of the world. You see all kinds of people here, right? That's beautiful. But I still think there are fractures in our city. There are, there's a hierarchy of who gets heard, who doesn't get heard. And while I understand that's the, the way of the world, I am hopeful that in this house, in God's house, those things don't apply. Mm-hmm. Those things that say you are valued and you are not, doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. And not only do we say we'll tolerate diversity, but as people of compassion and knowledge, we procure it. We go out and look for it. We, we want our brothers and sisters who are disregarded in parts of the city to say, no, we want you here. What do we do to make this place a place of welcoming for you? And until that happens, we can't think that it's now complete. I'll just say very quickly, it's like being a, trying to be a good dad. It's hard because it's not up to me to proclaim how well I'm doing. My daughters have to say, yeah, he was good. It's out of my hands. Mm-hmm. So in a church family, we can't say, oh, yeah, we're doing it. How do we know when the community around us says, mm-hmm. look at the love they have for one another. Mm-hmm. Look at the compassion they have for those around them. And we know, I would love in the future for someone to say, what is going on at Lake and not what is going on based on the scandal or divisions, mm-hmm. but what's going on, right? So mm-hmm. I know it's a lot, but that's why that's I am. Thank you. You see why I asked him to come up, right? <laughs> Church family, will, if you're able, will you stand for the reading of Psalm 67? May God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face shine on us, Selah, so that your ways may be known on earth, your salvation among all nations. May the peoples praise you, God. May all the peoples praise you. May the nations be glad and sing for joy, for you rule the peoples with equity and guide the nations of the earth, Selah. May the peoples praise you, God. May all the peoples praise you. The Lord, the land yields its harvest. God, our God, blesses us. May God bless us still so that all the ends of the earth will fear him. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks Thanks be be to God. God.
Thank you, Ray. You may be seated. So we're in Psalm 67, and it starts with, may God be gracious, gracious, grace. I want to make sure we know what grace is before we go any farther. The God of the universe that created each and every one of us saw us in our brokenness, in our loss, in our mistakes, in our separation from God, and our trajectory of death, and intervened, coming as the person of Jesus Christ to live a sinless life, and then when dying, to conquer the consequences of death and be resurrected. When we believe in Jesus, we join him in that resurrection. That's part of the gift, the forgiveness of sins available to all. But also when we believe in Jesus, we get the gift of the Holy Spirit, the spirit of the living God, not just around us in our world, but active and living inside us to guide us, protect us, instruct us, convict us. And that is the gift as well. Richard Chester describes it as this spirit helps us know God more clearly, love God more dearly, and follow God more nearly. That's what the spirit does. That's a gift. It's not what we do or don't do. It is what God has done and continues to do in us. That is grace. And when we come... Asking for grace, we come for a variety of things. If you are in contact with me, emailing me, you know 90% of the time I answer my email with some version of, may you know God's grace. If you're a new believer or if I don't know you well and I don't know, I answer it And I type it in myself. It's automatic. I want it to be a moment of prayer for me when I write the emails. May you know God's grace. I hope they know the gift from God of forgiveness of of sins and eternal life with God. I hope they know that. And that's my prayer. But more often than not, I'm emailing with leaders, whether it's staff or volunteers. And I often end with, may we know God's grace as we lead. Or this last week, I got an application for a job in our department. And as I was corresponding with the applicant, I ended with, may you know God's grace in this process. And when I'm doing it like that, I'm really, ask, I'm really praying for them to know God's grace in the everyday of what's going on, knowing we have challenges, we have struggles, and we need God to intervene in that. We have a God that both acted 2,000 years ago in the person of Jesus Christ and a God that is active right now in our lives. This is a boots-on-the-ground presence of God in our daily lives. And so when we read this scripture that says, may God be gracious to us and bless us, the author's writing in a boots on the ground kind of way. God, be involved in my life. There's things we need, brokenness that needs to be made whole. 
ways that you've gifted us that we we don't have the wisdom to know how to live out. We need you in our lives. And when we take our deep needs, as Ray expressed some of them today with protection and unity and guidance, when we take those deep needs to God, we come with hope. Because the God who promised is faithful, Hebrews tells us. We come with hope that God will be present and, and with us in that. What do you hope for? I remember a time, it's going to seem a little trivial, but if you hang in with me, you'll go, yeah, I was there too. I remember a time when I was in college and long before I met the love of my life, Eric, I had a crush and it was a deep crush on a boy. We worked together. We lived on the same street. And most of our friends were all the same friends. So this crush was fueled 365 days a year. I had a crush on this boy for a whole year. And what I knew to be true was he was never going to have a crush back on me. (laughs) And I remember being in my college dorm room with the lights off, just laying back on the floor, uh, down, Tears streaming down my eyes, praying to God, it's consuming me, it's distracting me, please take it away, take this crush away. And all I can say is a miracle happened for me. He didn't, the boy didn't act bad towards me and a new boy didn't come along and uh, change my focus. And literally the very next day at the end of the day, I was like, I didn't have any feelings towards him today when I saw him. I was, I like almost forgot that I even cared about him. It was a miracle for me in my storm of being consumed by a crush, God intervened. Now I want to say when we have storms, sometimes God will come to the storm and say, hush, be still. Sometimes God does that, and God did that for me in this example. But sometimes in storms, God cozies up like a parent, hugs us close, and says, hush, I'm going to bring my inner peace to you while the storm rages on. We don't know the way that God is going to act in, in what we're asking God for, but what we do know is that God promises his presence. This is what Jesus promises. And we'll read that again at the end of this sermon. But we know that God will be there in what we need. So what do you hope for, church family? In this scripture, we hear the word Selah at the end of verse 1. Pastor Chuck talked about this last week. It's a difficult to translate Hebrew word. Some of your Bibles put it as a notation uh, off to the side. Some of them include it right there. And it just says Selah. And the best people that spend their life's work interpreting the Hebrew think it's a pause, a moment of rest, and a moment of reflection. And I want us to pause with God and tell God what we hope for. May God be gracious to us and bless us 
and make his face shine on us. Selah. begins with a blessing. And it's not just any old blessing. This is a common blessing. This psalm echoes back to other parts of scripture. And this is a blessing that the Lord gave Moses and indirectly Aaron to give to the people when they gathered for worship. And I wanted you to be able to see how similar it is. So in number six, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face towards you and give you peace. Do you notice the similarities? God's blessing, God's grace, God's face. What that means when it says God's face is another way of saying God's focused attention on us, God's favor on us. But do you also notice what's different? What's different about number six and Psalm 67? It's one of my favorite words. It's great in Scrabble, just so you know. (laughs) It's us. 
in Psalm 67, it switches from you to us. May God be gracious to us and bless us. The switch from you to us is really significant. It's a switch from the individual to the whole community. The switch from a hierarchy of from God to the priest to the people to all the people need God. And our need for right relationships is key. Just as we need hope as humans, we need right relationships. And this psalm orders our relationships rightly. Culture will teach us to narrowly narrowly define us. And yet throughout scripture, it's expanding. Culture will tell you to, visit, to focus on your family, not theirs. Your kids' school, not theirs. Even in the church Christian world, our church, not theirs. Our Sunday school class, not theirs. Our ministry, not theirs. There's a focus here that's small, and yet God asks us to go big. Now, as church people, we're common to think, of course, God sees all of us the same. That's good theology. God made us, and we are all broken, so we're the same. And so when I, I, don't, I don't see, when I look at you, any difference, because God doesn't see any difference. That's what we'll say. And to those who are on the outside margins, when they first hear that, it's good news. Until it isn't. And I want to take the example of our adults with disabilities to help you understand this. If we say to them, I don't see any difference between you and me. We're the same in God's eyes. That's true. But also our earthly needs, as God sees them, are different. And so if they're saying, I have needs, but my I don't see them turns into I don't hear them, then we're not treating them like us. Now, four years ago when I came here, church family, our adults with disabilities were on the fourth floor of Hutchins Hall. Now, if you're an adult with disabilities and you're on the fourth floor, when there's a fire, you have to go down four flights of stairs. And the leadership of the adult of that class kept saying, this isn't a good spot for us. We have far too many people that can't or really struggle to go downstairs and we don't have enough able-bodied people to get them down in a fire. Please move us. And that was going on for a couple years and I will own, I also didn't address that problem promptly. Now they're in the right spot now. They're on the first floor. But you see how if we if we say you're the same and we're like, you're 20 people, you belong on the fourth floor of Hutchins, that's, that doesn't treat them as an us, right? Because it's not acknowledging their particular needs. When it's us, we love our neighbor as ourselves. And loving them as ourselves means putting them on the four, first floor. We have to listen. 
But we also, this psalm also doesn't just speak to right relationships within the people of God, but right relationships to everyone else. We turn back to Psalm 30, Psalm 67, and we read verses three and four. We hear it talking about peoples and nations. That's everybody else. It's there were the Hebrews, and then there were the Gentiles, everybody else. And for almost everybody in this room, that's us. <laughs> and this is what it says in verse 3 and 4. May the peoples praise you, God. May all the peoples praise you. May the nations be glad and sing for joy. For you rule the peoples with equity and guide the nations of the earth. Now, I want you to put on your Hebrew thinking cap I want you to read this the way they did, because when they hear peoples, they hear the other with that tone. And when they hear nations, they hear enemies. May the others praise you, God. May all the others praise you too. May my enemies be glad and sing for joy. May you rule the others with equity and guide my enemies also. So the world teaches us to come at culture with an opposition mindset. But God is inviting us to think future. They aren't the people that don't know God. They are the people that don't yet know God. And indeed, that is who we are. We are the partial fulfillment of Psalm 67, when it says all the people's praise you got, we're part of that. We're now praising God as the nations. But that didn't just happen. It required a mind shift for the people of God and how they think about everyone else. So I want to take another moment as this scripture has another Selah and have another pause. And this time, think about how God is inviting you to expand your definition of who is the people of God and to pray for them. When we hear people like Ray share what's on their heart, we're invited to join him in praying that those things would come a reality. So may the peoples praise you, God. May all the peoples praise you. May the nations be glad and sing for joy, for you rule the peoples with equity and guide the nations of the earth. Selah.
versus them. And we see here in the scripture God saying us and them. I.e. us and them become together the future people of God. And indeed, actually, this scripture teaches us us for them. This scripture, if you look at Psalm 1 and uh, verses 1 and 2, notice a little connecting phrase, which is very key. May God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face shine on us so that your ways may be known on the earth and your salvation among all the nations. So that God blesses us with purpose. It is not just a blessing unto ourselves, but for others and for others to know the gift of grace that God has for them. All people need hope. All people need right relationships and all people need purpose. And we find those with God. This idea of blessed And blessings being for purpose is foundational through scripture. The beginnings of the Hebrew nation take us to Genesis 12 and to Abraham and Sarah, people without any offspring, no heir, which is especially, it's probably painful for them like anyone today if you wanted a child, but especially painful because children were a security for you as you got older. And hear what God does. The Lord said to Abram, go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation and I will bless you. I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all the peoples of the earth will be blessed through you. God takes blessing and orders it into purpose in right relationships. And we see the same thing happening in the great commission of Jesus. Matthew 28. These are the final words of the gospel of Matthew. The final words of Jesus. And this is what Jesus says. Then Jesus came to his disciples and said... All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Here's the blessing. Surely I'm with you always, the gift of God active in our lives. But also, here's the commission make disciples. All of life needs to be funneled through that call of making disciples. That's how we order our days and our minutes around that. Don't waste your time 
your skills, your relationships, your blessings, the things God has given you. Don't waste them. Make the most of every opportunity and be a disciple-making disciple. Let's unpack that statement, a disciple-making disciple. All of us are called to be disciples. Being a disciple means to follow Jesus. That's simple. But as we follow Jesus, as we know him more clearly, love him more dearly, follow him more nearly, it's his commission that we must take up to make disciples. And it becomes a whole life endeavor, making disciples. I wanted to take time to talk about Ray and Yannicka. There are many in this church that are like them. And they're going to squirm a little bit because I'm going to put them on the spotlight. <laughs> and, um, and they're not perfect. But they're really marching in the right direction with the Lord in making disciples. Think about Ray participating in the event, A City Called Heaven. Now, that's not just music and poetry. We don't, the church doesn't just do things for fun. Um, although we hope we have fun while we do things. <laughs> we do them with purpose to make disciples. That an event was an opportunity to engage with culture for people that wouldn't be curious about church otherwise would want to come during Black History Month and hear what we have to say. Bringing those that don't yet know the Lord an opportunity to know the Lord better. When we think about our life and journey as a disciple, it, it is a journey. And so there's time when before we know the Lord and then we know the Lord, but that's not it. It's not know the Lord and not know the Lord. It's a continuing growth process. When we think about Ray and Yannicka and discipling their children, discipling happens intentionally in our most intimate relationships, the people you live with, whether that's family or roommates, engaging in how to help them grow in their faith is essential. Married couples as well. And we don't just do that in our family with who we live with. We do it with friends. We can do it with coworkers. In whatever ways possible, if they're believers, we can engage together. We can pray together. If they're not, we can move towards them in gracious ways to help them understand the gospel. So Ray and Yannicka are raising the bar, whether it's a space of friendship or neighbors or coworkers or family, to make those relationships about disciple-making. Ray and Yannicka are also both teachers. Now they don't teach about Jesus, but this can be disciple, this can contribute to disciple making spaces here. When they uh, come at their work with a focus that they are creating an environment where human life can thrive, where beauty can be created and point towards God, when they come at their work being people of compassion and integrity. Over time, they will be known as believers with that good character. And they can speak to how they, it, those aren't two separate things, but that their faith in God informs their character. And not only that, but they make money at their jobs and they can use their money 
for disciple making, whether that's investing in disciple making with their girls or disciple making through the church. So all of life can be funneled through disciple making, even our own health care. If we don't take seriously how to take care of our health, we won't be at our best and then we can't use our gifts at their best. Our own spiritual growth, if it's only for ourselves and it never leads to ideas about disciple making and sharing the good news, then we're missing something in our disciple making, in our discipleship, in our self-care. All of life ought to be asked, how will this contribute to disciple making? And if you can't think of anything that it contributes to disciple making, don't do it. It's not of value. Don't waste your time, your skills, your relationships, or your blessings. Make the most of every opportunity and become a disciple-making disciple. Today, we'll end in just a minute with a song written by several LAC musicians. They can come up now. And as we worship with them, they will be... Our worship, our praise of God is the partial fulfillment of Psalm 67, knowing that all the, knowing that one day all the peoples will praise him. But we get to participate in future generations and people praising him. When we recognize the blessings that we've been given, see purpose in how we can use them in right relationships. The good news of God can expand the kingdom. Become a disciple-making disciple, church family. Church, we have John Raferos and Anne Nairangi with us uh, to help with this song because they with the composers along with Dwayne Funderburk for this song from, uh, from Psalm 67. And so they're going to teach it to us and we're going to invite you to join and sing along with us, okay? So church, let's uh, sing these words. We are here to praise you, O Lord. We are here to praise you, O Lord. Come here. Praises. We are here to praise you, oh Lord. Let's try again. We are here to praise you, oh Lord. We are here to praise you, oh Lord. Come young and all Gracious to us, Lord, may your face shine upon us, that all your ways may be known, your saving power.
I've got four application steps for you, okay? One, the ministry council here at Lake Avenue Church has discerned that we should spend a year focused on listening, listening to one another and listening to God. And so our first listening project is next week. You can share with ministry council members how one worship service is impacting you. We are in the midst of discerning how do we worship post-pandemic with some at home and some here and what times and how does this impact our evangelism and discipleship. So come next week and participate in that. Listen. Two, on Wednesday night... Matthew John is leading with other scientists from JPL a conversation about science, outer space, faith. This is another moment when we, when we engage culture. So if you have a friend or neighbor that loves science, and in particular, if they don't know Jesus, this is something they can come to. And three, the gathering is October 30th. The gathering is an opportunity for anyone that serves at Lake Avenue or leads in any capacity to come together for prayer and equipping. And the theme this year is becoming a disciple-making disciple. That's what we'll be talking about. So I want you to participate in that. Save the date, October 30th. And the last one is prayer. If what you heard this morning makes you think, I don't know if I know the grace of God. I want to know it more fully. I want you to come down for prayer. If you feel like in this moment you were saying some things you really wanted and hoped and urged and pleaded before God and you want someone else to join you in praying for those things, come before for prayer. You can do prayer here or right through those doors, there's a prayer room and there's prayer counselors there. And now receive the blessing. May God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face shine on us so that God's ways may be known. God's salvation is for all. And all God's people said, amen.